0: I've been doing things with Tommy Shaw for several decades, but this interview that we did with Tommy Shaw recently, which by the way, subscribe to our YouTube page, Speed Freaks Radio, and you'll see numerous video interviews that we've done recently and over the last 21 years. Uh, the freshest, of course, is Tommy Shaw. The new record is called Crash of the Crown. It's a new sticks record, came out in June, which by the way, of course, you could stream or, or purchase in numerous areas. Crash of the Crown. We'll talk a little bit about that coming up in this interview, but first it's the stories that he hits about being on the road over the last 30 40 years, whether it's opening up for Gene Simmons or Jerry Lee Lewis or his influences it's Tommy Shaw talking about the chairman of the board here in the Freak Nation
1: I've just uh, started to watch this new uh, Frank Sinatra Um, it's a it's a I don't know how many parts there is are to it, but it's this fantastic documentary. Uh, and it's, you know, he was always kind of private about his 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 private life. But, um, man, there's there's just so m- much behind the scenes of getting to know Sinatra. It, it's mind blowing. And it, it was a lot of it was like grainy 16 millimeter film or home movies and that sort of thing. So, again, it was the content. (laughs) Tommy Shaw of Styx
2: listens to Frank Sinatra. Your concerts couldn't be more different than Frank Sinatra. you got big air, big sound, big production, big guitars. It's incredible, the concerts.
1: There was a, um, you know that song, uh, Got You Under My Skin? Mm -hmm. Uh, Nelson Riddle, conductor, arranger they're in studio a at, uh, at, um, uh, what's the studio in Los Angeles. Um, uh, I can't think of the name. This, this amazing studio that I've recorded in, uh, and seen pictures of Sinatra singing there. And there he is singing right out in the middle of the orchestra, uh, no headphones on. And then later on in the, the video, they show him singing that song in front of an audience. And he, at this time, he's done it a bunch of times. And he, 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 as a vocalist, he's just, you know, he's ungodly. I mean, he's, mm. or he was godly, I would say. Uh, mm. And it's one of those things I didn't appreciate uh, when I was younger because I hadn't gone out and performed and, and uh, recorded and, and that sort of thing. Cap- Capital Studios. Yes. Oh, there you go. And it was just amazing, this live performance that he did. He was very instrumental with those arrangements. And, uh, and he was the first person to do concept albums. And he did many concept albums. He, what he would do, he would think of this, this setting or this concept or this I- idea or feeling. And he would go about finding the songs that would tell that story. And Nelson Riddle would do the arrangements of it. And you'd have these greatest players in, in Los Angeles playing behind it. And, and he, he, as a storyteller, he made it look so easy. Uh, but uh, part of something that really struck me, it was him talking about vocalizing. And he was describing some things that you do as a vocalist that Only not even their vocalists know about unless they've had some training. And I've had enough training because I had to. I had to learn how to sing high enough when we recorded it because (laughs) I was able to record it, but I couldn't pull it off live. It was just too high. And I didn't I didn't have enough vocal technique. So I wound up taking going to my vocal teacher in New York and having her show me how to do it. And she listened to the tape and said, why are you doing this? What? why are you singing that high? You know? It's too late now. The record's out. you got to show me how to do it. And the same things that she taught me, Sinatra was talking about. That's how he learned to sing. So it's just, oh, wow. just amazing. Uh, I never thought I would relate to Sinatra on such a, a personal way like that.
3: Well, to, I guess, re-ask her question to you, why do you sing some of these versus so high. I mean, it's amazing. And people love replicating you all around the world. But how did you get to that? And why?
1: I, I could do it without technique, but I couldn't do it for very long or very many times in a row. And so I needed to, I needed to, it was like an engine that wasn't tuned up, you know, that you've got a couple of spark plugs aren't right? And you just go ahead and floor it anyway. And the next thing you know, you're broken down on the side of the road. Uh, so, <laughs> I just I found a few of those things that where when you're trying to sing some of those those bell notes instead of just forcing your muscles and your vocal cords to do it, you use your whole head is like a your head's like a speaker cabinet, you know, and so you place those speakers in there so that they get the most projection. And so you do that vocally. and if you if you watched the uh, Aretha uh, uh, doc, uh, the movie just recently um you you can see those same kind of mechanisms at work
3: it's so cool to hear how much you are <laughs> still a student of the music industry you love watching these documentaries these movies and you can pick something out of each and every one that you that can be relatable that's yeah. fascinating i don't think a lot of people realize that the best musicians truly do that
1: yeah and and that's why i can still uh Actually, I sing better than I used to because I sing uh, more properly and I can, I can do a lot more with a lot less energy. And, (laughs) and I can feel it's not, I'm not just getting lucky when I hit the note.
0: (laughs) It's like,
1: I know I can hit that. And so there's, there's so much joy in knowing that I'm going to get there and I'm going to be able to do it. And, um, I I just can't wait to go sing every night.
3: And then that's what keeps you healthy night in and night out, especially in places like where you are now in Phoenix or let's take Las Vegas. I know some singers can't stand going to Las Vegas because of the dry throat conditions. So, yeah, I mean, have you changed your daily habits from 20 years ago to now to keep you healthy on the road as well?
1: The only thing that's changed uh, was when I moved to Nashville. It's so green and there's so just constantly allergens in the air that I have Hmm. to... I have to worry about that, so I, I wind up taking like a, a you know something for allergies every day, and I have these, you know, there's always like a new contraption that you can get to kind of clear out your, your, your throat and your nasal cavity and all that stuff. You don't want to hear about all that, uh, but I, but I, I've got drugs. You know, my my wardrobe case sometimes look like looks like a pharmacy you know, let's try this one, <laughs> you know, but they, they work. So you got, you got it. You got to have it. It's like, like you're again, like an engine. You just can't mm. have all this car, carbon buildup in there. You got to keep it, keep the flow going.
2: Do you <laughs> love it? Okay. Do you uh, do this for your fans? It's important to you listening to your music that your stage performance replicates what they get from the albums from the cds uh do your fans demand that or do you just go a little extra to give it to them
1: i I demand it just because i i want to do it and i don't want to be worrying about am i going to crash and burn i want to look forward to that high note and not not dread it uh and so you know when you record songs they're brand new songs and so you're just doing everything right that you've come up with. But when you go out and play them, suddenly you see, you know, there's an opportunity to extend it or um, to do a little something to take it to another level because you're performing it live. And we have this song called uh, Save Us From Ourselves. It's on the new album, Crash of the Crown. And it's one of those, it's like a, like a soul song, like a, uh, kind of like a, almost like a Marvin Gay kind of pro, not a protest song, but a social commentary song. You know, it's like, can anyone save us from ourselves this time, you know? <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, we extended it, um, put it. Uh, JY has a big guitar solo on the end of it. And then we take it like it's like, it's a, uh, a soul song, like a review and it just keeps, you know, it keeps building at the end. And I get to vocalize there again, and and JY takes another solo, and then it's it just it just keeps going like that. And I know um, that the people who haven't bought the album, taken home, and listened to it yet, don't know it. But the song actually, just because we we, it's so real, and the song it's a really good song. Uh, Then by the end of the song, they know it, and they have they have kind of gotten caught up in it. And that's what I love. I, I love, and I, and I, you know, we're talking about the vocalizing is I know I can get there and take it to another level. What about Man in the Wilderness? I, <laughs> I
2: heard that, fell in love with it, the lyrics in particular, and the, how you described it in the intro on the video, that's a pretty significant
1: song. It was, and that was just kind of, you know, when you, you write what you know, or write what you feel. And, uh, I had seen Kansas, uh, we had opened for Kansas. This is like I think my first tour. Or a second yeah, yeah, my, like my first tour. And I snuck out into the audience just to watch them and listen to them. And it was just I didn't I had never heard of a band, a rock band playing with just you know, such great technical uh and classical uh tones to what they were doing. And I wanted a song like that, so that I went back and i that's that's how man in the wilderness came to be and it it was uh biographical because i had all I'd ever done is play it in clubs mm-hmm. and um, you know maybe the the biggest thing I think I'd ever done was play it with Jerry Lee Lewis for a couple of shows oh what <laughs> uh, what <laughs> That's oh, a another story.
2: You can't so, leave that on the table, Tommy. Oh, Tommy. You got to expand
1: on that. You and Jerry Lee Lewis jamming well, together? Come on. <laughs> I was in this band, uh, and our manager, um, we had kind of stopped off in Memphis and stayed there long enough to meet people. And Our, our agent was Jerry Lee's. Let's see. Our manager was Jerry Lee's agent. Is that right? Yes. Our manager was Jerry Lee's agent and he had heard about us and we had we were an eight piece band with horns and um, he wanted to hear what his band would sound like with horns. So he spoke to our uh, to, to our agent, our manager and said, uh, let's get these boys to come with me and play a couple of shows and going we'll to see what it's like. And so everybody went. But our drummer and our bass player he used his uh, drummer and bass player. And we rehearsed one night and uh, just for Jerry, we're out are playing in the club in Memphis and playing and he's sitting out there with his girlfriend in his lap and, uh, and listening to us play, smoking a cigar, you know, it was, like, it was very surreal. Uh, so he gave us a thumbs up. Uh, we all got on his private plane and flew out to California and uh, did the shows. One of them was in Anaheim and the other was, was in Fresno, Fresno with these arenas. And, uh, it's funny because he's such a natural musician. I don't, you know, he's not aware he's really not aware of how horn players need to like stay in the key that they learned the song in. <laughs> because there's a lot of, <laughs> they have to do a lot of transposing. So so we start playing some of these songs and he starts it out in another key and he gets to the solo and says, Take it, boys. <laughs> <players> <sighs> But he was such a pro that uh, some guy started heckling him because he had been doing his, you know, hmm. great balls of fire and something like that. And some guys out there yelling at him and heckling him. He stops and then he does green green grass at home oh. and makes that guy look like right, because you know this that's a that's a beautiful kind of religious you know uh, Americana song. And he 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 just took the pants off that guy in front of everybody. <laughs> Don't mess with the killer.
3: No. <laughs>
0: That's the title cut, Crash of the Crown, the new record from Styx here in the Freak Nation, Lucas Oil Studios. And we we'll continue on with our discussion with Tommy Shaw, the front man of Styx. You, as a solo artist and as um, even before Styx, as we found out, have played for some pretty uh, formidable people and bands. 1977 for me. I, 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 you know what? I don't hate reminiscing like this. Screw it. September of 1977. <laughs> Uh, Sticks opened up for Kiss. Uh, how much of that tour do you remember, uh, Tommy Shaw?
1: Well, it was the, actually the second time I'd ever opened for Kiss because mm-hmm. uh, when uh, when I got the job with Sticks, they had found me back in my hometown. I, that other band I'd been in, we disco music and the. You know, the, the economy breaking down kind of sent us all back home. Uh, and so I was back in my hometown, hometown of Montgomery, Alabama uh, and playing in a bowling alley lounge with my buddies from high school. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, <Bowling> alley lounge. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there, you know, disco music, had. we were a band playing all original songs, eight piece band. Nobody knew our music. They wanted to dance, and the club owners were saying, "You, we, we, I don't need you. I can buy a stereo and some lights and not have to argue with you guys." So, <laughs> so they they kind of just you know shredded our few gigs that we had. And so I went home and did that, and it was great—just a hundred people coming in there and watching us play and sing songs. And uh, but we had that's the previous band had been. Uh, We played at this club called Rush Up on Rush Street in Chicago many, many nights. And one of those nights, uh, the tour manager from Styx came in and introduced himself to us. And uh, so he had had gotten to see us and he really liked the band. And there came a point uh, when they had released Equinox. They had a brand new album, brand new record label, a new manager, and they had a national tour booked. And John Sarluski, uh, the uh, the other guitarist in the band, decided, I'm out. I oh. he, he walked away from it. And you know, it's so hard to, to reschedule the tour, you know, people want their money back and they just ah, it's too much trouble. So they they put their feelers out and the tour manager said, I met this guy and you know, let me see if I can find him. And I when I got my phone down there, I didn't have a as an unlisted number, because I was like, you know, who am I worried about calling, you know, calling? And so they got my number from directory assistants called me up, and invited me to come up and audition. And next thing I know, I'm packing up and learning 13 songs and stacker of albums. You know, you go home, get your stuff, learn these 13 songs, come back, and then we hit the road. One Whoa. rehearsal, one Whoa. rehearsal. And- <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Off okay. we go.
2: Wow. I just, just, wow. I can't get any, I can't think of anything else besides,
0: wow. That's,
1: it was wow.
0: Did that turn into the kiss opening up for kiss?
1: Oh, oh, oh. That left out the whole point. Yeah, you did.
0: (laughs) In the bowling alley lounge before this happened,
1: uh, (laughs) a, a, a guy who was a fan of our little band came in and said, it, uh, he's he, he had something to do with sticks coming to play garrett Coliseum that evening and the opening act their truck had broken down and he said you guys want to come open for Kips? and we're like sure you know but we're, we're playing like jackson Brown eagles songs and I'm playing steel guitar and <laughs> acoustic guitar and uh you know but we're like yeah okay so so we go out and uh, to the coliseum and walk up there and kiss his gears on stage, and we bring our little—you know—we got a handful of equipment to bring in. And so I—I I saw Gene Simmons, and I went up to him and I said, "Do you think we could get a sound check?" And he looked down at me like, "Come here," <laughs> <laughs> and he—he he, he took me for a little walk around the, the, the out, out, outer part of the arena floor. He said, "Look, you know, bands with hits don't get." sound checks with us, but oh. yes, you can have a sound check. So we got a sound oh. check. From kiss. And uh, <laughs> so, so when we, opened, when sticks opened for kiss in Houston, then I saw them again, but in our dressing room, he and Paul came in and they were just uh, getting ready. They were suited up and all their regalia. And, uh, it was, you
0: know,
1: it was nice to have a, a better gig
0: <laughs> Great that is amazing you, you look, these stories you could go on and yes. on and on uh, now with your 17th record with Crash of the Crown do you find some of these bands that you work with in the similar situations that you were uh, opening up for Kiss that Tommy Shaw is talking to me he's walking out on stage with me and out in the crowd going boy <laughs> you want to sound? Do you find now, you know, many years later, especially with this new release that came out in June, that you're having you're walking the same walk that Gene Simmons did with a, a young Tommy Shaw? I guess I
1: don't really think about it. You know, when you're when you're when you're backstage, everybody's anyone who's back there belongs there, and they've 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 made their way there. So uh, I'm I'm always we're always courteous to uh, to local opening acts who. who Come up because you know, they've they've achieved a certain level of of experience and following uh, in order to get to that point. So, yeah, I can I can uh, definitely relate to that, and you know, and they really people usually they they bring their best, so you wind up hearing some really cool stuff.
2: Did you think Tommy Shaw sticks? Did you think back in nineteen the mid seventies? that you'd still be touring in 2021 and out there on the stage, banging the guitar. Uh, did you see that
1: then? Well, I didn't see anything else. Uh, I was, you know, I'm kind of a one trick pony. <laughs> you know, I, this, is, this is what I do. And I'd hope that I would continue to be able to do it. And, uh, and so, so far I've been able to do that uh but yeah i did not have a fallback you had no plan b that was that you were going <laughs> to tour no matter what you, you don't want me doing plan b because you know it's like my wife you know <laughs> she, she's very she's very capable of running the show at home <laughs> and uh, i i have i've always i've got music playing in my head 24 hours a day not all, always good music sometimes it's mm-hmm. like really bad smooth jazz and or, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, why am I? Or I'm just going over a scale in my head. I'm like, why am I doing that? Mm. What are you hearing but, right now? I'm interrupting
2: you, and I'm sorry, but what are you hearing right now?
1: Just some kind of just uh, like r- random jazz, mm. you know, uh, just like like a like a sax solo, just kind of something of Miles wow. Davis album or. Yeah. I, I'm so I'm constantly I, I have a I have a very short attention span. And it you know, my wife loves she still loves me, so she's used mm-hmm. to it. But um yeah, I, I I it's good that I can do this because I'm I'm dysfunctional in so many other ways. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but the, okay, so Statman is saying that Back in the 70s, did you ever think you'd still be doing this come year 2021? Well, let's just take it back one year. Just last year, you're putting together Crash of the Crown. Did you think that you were going to get to this point right now because of how the pandemic changed everything, including recording sessions?
1: Well, fortunately, we had already begun. We had written everything but two songs. Ooh. The, only, the only two songs that were written during the lockdown were... Um, our wonderful lives and to those, uh, everything else was already in the can. And, you know, it was, you know, that it, it's, it, if you listen to the album, it kind of sounds like we're writing it about what's going on right now. And, but right now is just an extension of what was going on back then. Very <laughs> right. true. Um, yeah, it's, it, it, it was something it was, you know, uh, unlike anything that any of us have had ever experienced before. And I'll tell you the fact that we were already into making the record and we, we, and technology came along to fill in the gap of us not being able to be in the same room. So we used that technology to uh, record our drums from Austin, Texas, listening to them in my studio in Nashville, uh, Chuck Bernazo, our tour manager, drove 900 miles down to pick him up. Drove him to the house. He did his recording. Drove him 900 miles back to Miami. Um, Oh my! Lawrence uh, had finished a lot of his recordings, but he couldn't come into the United States. We couldn't go up there, so we we did it from his studio on a Zoom call. It was just like this: say, say, "But, but, uh, you know, I'm Lawrence, and and you're his producer." And there's there's Will and then there's the engineer. Uh, So that's how we did. We finished out those parts Um, and then will mixed it. And uh, it was we were just bound to determine that nothing was going to stop us from finishing that album. Uh, And and we did it. And uh, it's one of my favorite albums we've ever made. You clearly
3: had too much time on your hands, though, right? Hey, oh Oh, yeah, that was the theme
1: song. That was the theme song of the year. Does
0: does it, it, it? With this being one of your favorite albums, Tommy, does it have everything to do with the fact that it was in your studio and what you had to go through to put out such good music? I mean, you could have put out, you could have wasted two years, but the music that I've heard from Crown, it's good music. Is that why, the, the struggle, studio, is that why it's so special?
1: Well, it's all it's all part of it. Uh, we had, uh, uh, on the previous album, The Mission, uh, Will and I, you know, just in contemplating how it's going to be, what, what's it going to sound like? Uh, we agreed that our favorite Styx albums were Grand Illusion, Pieces of Eight, and Equinox. And so we, we listen to those albums. What is it that we like so much about those albums? We love the drum sounds. We love uh, the great analog sounds. Uh, we love the, the vocal harmonies. And so we said, let's, let's, let's make a new album and, and just be that band who was doing that. Because that's, that's to me, so identifiable as sticks." Uh, and so we had that going on before the lockdown. So we already had our, our uh, you know, Todd already had his drums picked out and we had all those things going on. It was just just the other stuff, just the madness uh and, and the isolation of being stuck inside and uh, all the unknowns. That was just like everybody else. That was it's just it's kind of exhausting. It still mm-hmm. is. Uh, it was just a different level of it now.
0: What about touring? Uh, we know how many tours were postponed. Is is this a, just a different emotion and feeling for you guys now on this tour, given what this country, this world's been through for the last 16, 18 months? You just want to go out and hug everybody that shows up for a show now?
1: It's so hard not to, uh, to hug each other and hug the fans and give them five and give high fives. Uh, and But we – we did the, the work, and we early on, we uh, uh, production manager said, "I'm going to be the COVID cop." So it's going <laughs> to be it's going to be our way or the highway. Uh, we 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 stopped all meet and greets. We stopped um, having anybody that wasn't part of our team hmm. uh, to be around us. So we just we did like the like the sporting teams, and, and we just created a bubble, and uh, so. It, you hear people, mask, you know, it's my walk through our dressing room, carrying his mask. That we didn't know like, put it on. You know, we don't know you. Uh, so there's, there's a little bit of that, but we're, you know, this is what we have to do to just, mm-hmm. just keep moving forward. And if it hurts somebody's feelings a little bit to do that, well, you shouldn't be in our area anyway. We're trying to, you know, we're trying to keep everybody else healthy by wearing the masks, and you know. But you don't you don't want to go down that road? We're just trying to take care of, our, of ourselves, mm. and so that we can go out and, you know, when we walk out there in front of our fans, it's it's like this emotional explosion of mm. joy, and uh, you can just sense everybody's feelings of yes, you know, finally we get to do this. And it just goes up from there. So, and that we feed off that energy, and uh, it is really something to look forward to. No,
3: seriously, Kenny, I know what? you're going to laugh at me with this. Uh-oh. My swing choir from back in high school would love to hear that you rehearse to your own songs because we rehearsed to you when before we went on stage. We love singing your songs. It was just, I mean, they're just so great. All the harmonies, and just, oh, it's just it's memories, man. And, we, you know,
1: we, we wrote and recorded all that stuff, but we didn't learn it. You know, we, we learned it to play the, to sing the, the parts. And so now we have to go back in There's because we want it to be right. And and you also when you play out on the road, you do things a few nights in a row. And every once in a while, somebody will take a little liberty on a part and do a mm. dip down or something like that. like Or s- switch to another part. So we're constantly checking ourselves. Because oh, wow. uh, I don't know if you've, you've probably heard some bands where you go to see them and it's like, well, those songs don't sound like a record at all,
3: right? And, and what's <laughs>
1: happened is that just day, day by day, little by little, they they take liberties and they change things, and next thing you know, you know, they it's they've done some damage to mm-hmm. the songs. Well, we try and keep those parts as fresh and uh, and make sure everybody's got, singing the right parts and. Uh, because cause when you get out there and then everything's right, then all you got to worry about is just doing your part.
0: <laughs> Tommy, thank you, buddy. Perfect. See, yeah. see, see, can't say it enough, Freak Nation. Tommy Shaw, kind enough to spend about 40, 45 minutes with us here in the Freak Nation. Go to our YouTube page to watch that interview. And again, sticksworld.com for all your information on the latest music from Crash of the Crown uh, from Sticks Tommy Shaw, human greatness.